Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The clear teaching is that your focus is on your spouse's physical sexual needs and not on yours. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you telling me that I should have sexual relations with my spouse every time they want to? It depends on whether you want to do this thing God's way or not. Let's face it, our culture is obsessed with sex. Whether it's an advertisement, a song, a television show, a movie, sex has been distorted and perverted into something far from what God intended for us. But does that mean that sex itself is bad? God is clear, ladies and gentlemen, that He has a moral standard that He expects His children to live by. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Over the last few weeks as we've made our way through 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6, we've seen how some in the church in Corinth had adopted the culture's view on sex and had become involved in sexual practices beyond what God intended. In those chapters, Paul explains why we should not join the world in its perverted abuses of the gift of sexuality. But as we come to chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, we find another problem in the church connected to sexual practices, or more precisely, the lack of sexual intimacy in marriage. If you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. It bonds two people together in a way that really, I don't even know that it's possible to even explain it, but I'm telling you, it's real. Some of the Corinthians were being taught that sex was bad and should not be practiced by followers of Jesus. As we're going to see today, the Apostle Paul steps in to correct their theologically incorrect ideas about sex. Now let's look to God's Word for the correct understanding of sexual expression in marriage. Now here's Pastor Clay. I have been saying throughout this series that you have to, you're going to have to decide. Each person has to decide the source of their truth, where their source comes from. You know how I've been saying that throughout this series? Okay. The reason I keep saying that is because in this series entitled Crossroads, our belief, our faith, What it is we say we believe about God, about Jesus Christ, about our redemption, about His plans for our lives. What we say we believe about our beliefs is going to intersect with our culture at various places. And when it does, there is going to be conflict. There is going to be contrast. There is going to be opposing views as to what is true and what is not true, what is right and what is wrong. And so, as I keep reminding you, each person then therefore has to determine whether they're going to believe that God's word is truth or what the culture says or what you may personally feel or think or some other source if if that is truth. When, when they conflict, you're going to have to choose. This is my heart. It is my calling and my passion to communicate to you the truth of God's Word in a way that shows the relevancy of that Word for your life. 
That is my calling and that is my passion. But when I do that, it sometimes means that there will be a conflict between what, what, I, what I communicate, the truth of God's word says, compared to what a person may think or a person may feel or what the culture may say. As a matter of fact, I, I, I know that we have lost some folks during this very series because of some of the teaching that came up earlier in the chapter, in the chapters in 1 Corinthians in this series, particularly uh, in the area of our sexuality, particularly in the area of the practice of homosexuality. But I want you to, to understand something. I cannot, I hope you understand that I, I cannot skip over parts of God's word or the teaching of God's word uh, because there's potential to make somebody mad because of that. Listen, for one thing, how, how incredibly unloving of me it would be to, to pass over, skip over, not teach uh, a subject that God speaks very clearly on, how unloving would it be for me to skip over that part because I, I was afraid of making somebody mad? And from a selfish standpoint, me, I will stand alone before God someday as to what I have taught God's people as God's under-shepherd. I will stand alone for that. And so on that day saying to him, but, but, but Lord, if, if, I, if I taught on that part, I was going to make people mad. But, but Lord, if, if, I, if, I, if I taught on that, we were going to lose members. I'm just telling you right now, that will not cut it on the day I stand before God as an under-shepherd teaching, responsible for teaching his people. So I must communicate truth as revealed in God's word. I should not add to it, but nor should I take away from it. And as I keep saying in regards to truth, as we make our way through 1 Corinthians, and particularly 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it is vitally important that you have determined in your heart or that you will determine in your heart what your source of truth will be. Because in this chapter, I know I've already said this some, but in this chapter we are going, as we're going to today, we're going to talk about uh, physical intimacy, physical sexual intimacy in marriage. No amens, huh? Okay, all right, okay. We're going to talk about divorce. We're going to talk about remarriage. We're going to talk about slavery. We're going to talk about contentment. All of that stuff is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And, and let me just go ahead and say, and you would probably go ahead and guess this in advance, but some of, the, uh, of what is revealed in God's word is going to conflict with what, what some people or what you may feel or think or want to be true. Speaking of truth, I came across or I, I received uh, this email just a, a couple of weeks ago. And um, I, I thought it was important to read to you because it presents what it claims is some truth about a major food group, chocolate. Here's what it says. Did you know that there's a very specific type of chocolate that's not only delicious? Is there any kind of chocolate that's not delicious? Did you know that there's a very specific type of chocolate that's not only delicious and helps you lose weight? but also releases the same feel-good hormones your body releases during 
and after sex. And no, I'm not talking about dark chocolate either. Click here to discover the exact type of velvety, smooth, and delicious chocolate I'm talking about. Reduces cravings, stops anxiety, aids weight loss, increases pleasure, improves sleep, and might be better than sex. <laughs> Where do I order? Right? I mean, right? And it must be true because it's on the internet, right? Maybe not, huh? My point is that just because someone claims something is true doesn't necessarily make it true or not true. So you have to decide your source of truth. And, what you, and the decision you come to on the source of your tooth, truth will then affect how you live your life. And with that, we're coming to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just verses 1 through 5 today, talking about sexual intimacy within the marriage. Now, as we get started, let me say to you, if you're here and you're single and you don't want to be, in other words, you want to be married, you may be tempted at this point to think, oh great, yahoo, just what I want to hear about, people getting to have sex. I'm single and so I can't be with any. Buddy, I can't be physically intimate with somebody because I'm trying to do this thing God's way. If that is you, if you're here, and you do not have the gift of singleness, and we will explain what that is as we move on into chapter 7. If you do not have the gift of singleness, then you may not be looking forward to a, a, a biblical discussion on physical sexual intimacy in marriage because you're not married and you want to be married. But let me say this. You, you may be married someday, and therefore this information is important to you. And it is very important to couples, whether they're in this room or whether they'll listen to or watch this, this, uh, this broadcast later, it is very important to married couples. Because, and I'll go ahead and say this at, at, at the beginning, God is very blunt about this. So if you, if you are single and you don't want to be I know this can't be easy for you. Speaking of single, let me say this. As we jump into this in just a moment, it's going to become apparent that the Apostle Paul was not married. In fact, he references uh, this thing that he refers to as this gift of singleness. Again, we won't get to that today, uh, but we will get to that, Lord willing, uh, further in the chapter. Uh, next week, I think, uh, particularly. But the Apostle Paul uh, is not married. He is is single, and so as a result of that, when you read some of this uh, text, it it may sound a bit emotionless, and in fact, it is. A, the Apostle Paul was a man, and we men tend to fail miserably at the idea of, of romance. Still no amens, huh? For sure, there'd be some females. I figure for sure, my wife. For sure, my wife would say amen to that. First, Paul was a man, and men in general. Now, some of you guys are exceptions to the rule. You're unbelievably romantic. I hate you. But, uh, but as a general rule, men tend to not be as romantic. So, Plus, the Apostle Paul does have what he refers to as this gift of singleness, and so it makes sense that romance would not be Paul's strong suit, okay? But keep this in mind. 
Even though the Apostle Paul is single, even though the Apostle Paul is not married, the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that means that everything that the Apostle Paul writes is guided by the Spirit of God so that the Apostle Paul records exactly what God wanted recorded and transmit it to us. And the Spirit of God knows. Here's the point. The Spirit of God knows that love, even physical, sexual love between a husband and a wife, cannot be sustained on feeling and emotion. It's simply not enough. It doesn't mean that we are emotionless. It doesn't mean that we are without feelings. But God knows that feelings and emotions simply will not sustain a love, even the physical aspect of it. Okay? So with that in mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, in an attempt to make it perhaps sound not quite as sterile, I'm going to read it to you today from the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says this. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, uh, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Whoa. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And with that, I present to you the main idea that we're going to unpack here today, and it is this. If you're married... Stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. Still no amen. amen. Wow. If you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. Now, if you're here and you're a couple or, or you're here by yourself but you're married or whatever, if you're, if you're here and you're married and, and you and your spouse struggle in this area of sexual intimacy, struggle in, in its frequency and consistency, if you struggle in that area, and many couples struggle in this area. If you struggle in that area, and if you happen to be the spouse that believes that there should be more frequency, more consistency, and there usually is one spouse that feels that way in the relationship, if, if there's a, a problem or an issue, if you happen to be the spouse that thinks that there should be more uh, frequency uh, going on, then you very well may be thinking, yeah, he needs to change that title. That, that title needs to say something like, if you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse allows, because my spouse don't hardly ever allow it, right? But I remind you, whether you're here and you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a teenager, whether you're anybody that... that, that doesn't have that gift of singleness that we'll get to. I remind you that our goal, our aim, is to do this thing God's way, including physical intimacy in my, our marriage, to do things 
God's way and not the way we may think or feel or anything else. So, my premise is correct, and we'll unpack it in just a minute, but if you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. Now, let me point out that uh, the Apostle Paul mentions in verse 1 a letter that the Corinthians had written to him. We don't have that letter, but it's clear from the textual evidence that they had written him a letter. They had questions, they needed answers. And so they wrote him a letter in which they had a myriad of subjects that they uh, brought up. And so the Apostle Paul responds, that's what he's doing, he's beginning to respond to some of that, and as it says there in, uh, in verse 1, uh, the way the New American Standard puts it is now concerning. I think the NALT said about this letter you wrote me. The NASB says now uh, concerning. By the way, you'll hear that same phrase again down in verse 25. You'll hear it in chapter 8, verse 1. You'll hear it in chapter 12, verse 1. You'll hear it in chapter 16, in verse 1. Each time you see that phrase now concerning, he is moving into and responding to another question that the Corinthians had uh, about him or that they want him to deal with. You see, there, there's all kinds of issues in the church in Corinth, right? If you've been in this series, you know that. There's all kinds of issues. Some of those issues are relational. Some of the issues are legal. But some of the issues are theological. And that's where he's going to begin to dive into this. So he, he says here in verse 1, now concerning, concerning the things about which you wrote, and then we find this phrase, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Touch, in this context, clearly meaning sexual intimacy. There's no getting around. That's clearly what the text is referring to. Now, concerning about that which you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. I want to point out that the Apostle Paul says that it is good... He does not say that it is a command. The reason he does not say that it is a command is for the very reason that not everyone has this gift of singleness that he has. Not everybody has that gift. And so it's not a command, but Paul says there's something, there's something good about it. What that gift of singleness is, again, I'll say, we'll talk about that. Why he says that it actually would be, it, it would be good to not have a physical sexual relationship uh, with a woman, uh, to, to not be married and have that uh, going on, that, that'll all come out as we get to it. I hope you'll want to be here for that. But if you're single, I hope you'll especially want to be here when we get to that. But there, there, there were some, among all the issues, there were theological issues in Corinth. And one of the, one of the streams of, uh, of theological problems came from a, a group that came to be known as uh, Gnostics. Uh, it was Gnosticism. From the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge, the Gnostics claimed that they had more knowledge than the, than the regular church had. They, they had secret knowledge that other people didn't have, and so they tried to be an authority and say what this and that. And so Gnosticism is one of this stream of bad theology that, that surfaced. And uh, this, this, the Gnostics one of their views, one of their wrongful theological views, was that the body is, this body is perishing, the body is uh, corrupt, and the body 
is, is unredeemable. The body, only the spirit will be redeemed. That was part of their teaching. Only the spirit will be redeemed. Because of that teaching, it created two branches off of that stream. You with me? One of those branches came to be known as the antinomians. Uh, anti against namas law. The antinomians were against law or rule or, or directions or guidance or, or standards that were laid down. The, the argument was this. Well, since the body is perishing, since the body is, is, is corrupt, since the body is unredeemable, it don't matter what we do with this thing. We can do anything we want with this body because it doesn't matter because we're leaving all this stuff behind. And so therefore, as a result of that, some in Corinth had begun to engage, join their culture in sexual activity outside of God's parameters and, and, uh, and norms, God's standards. They had begun to engage in sexual practice that God said, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Okay? That was the antinomians. We can do whatever we want. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul addressed that in chapter 5 and chapter 6, but uh, it, we find it there in, in chapter 6, his, 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 his resolve on this, his, his, uh, his approach to it is crystal clear. May it never be. May it never be. God is clear, ladies and gentlemen, that he has a moral standard that he expects his children to live by. I know we're not perfect, I know we don't get it right all the time, but there's no question that God has a moral standard that he expects his children to live by. And so in regards to the antinomians, the Apostle Paul says, may it never be, listen to me, this is important, grace is not a license to do whatever you want. It's not. And, and, I, and, I, and I've, heard, I've heard that from people. Well, I, I'm saved, I'm under grace. It, I, you know, God will have to forgive me. I'm under grace. Grace is not a license to do whatever you want, Okay. So, so that's one branch off of this, this stream of, of uh, Gnosticism that said the body's bad, the body's corrupt, the body's not redeemable. Okay, you got the, the antinomians. Woo, let's party like a rock star, do whatever we want, it doesn't matter. The other branch that came off of that came to be known as the ascetics. And the ascetics taught the polar opposite based on the same false truth. The ascetics said, well, since the body is corrupt, since the body is perishable, is perishing, and since the body is not redeemable, then the body is bad, and we shouldn't do anything to indulge this body. We shouldn't do anything in this body that would bring pleasure to it because the body is bad. Hey, sex is pleasurable. It, it, it makes your body feel good. Therefore, sex must be bad. We must not have sex even if we're married. That was the ascetics. It was an extreme view of, of not, not uh, letting the body enjoy anything because, that, because the body's bad, and so you shouldn't do that. So Paul dealt with the antinomians in chapters 5 and 6, and now in chapter 7 he begins to uh, deal with this ascetic view that, that the Corinthians had written to him about. They had obviously, apparently asked him, hey, what about, what about sex? And remember, Corinth is a very sexual uh, city. Sex, he said, what, you know, what about sex? We're, we're being taught that the body is bad, so maybe we shouldn't even have sex at all. Even if we're married, maybe we shouldn't even have that. With that backdrop, let's read it again uh, from verses 2 through 5. I'll read it again in the New Living Translation. But because there is so much sexual immorality, and it was, it was rampant in Corinth, just as it's rampant in our culture today. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman should have her own husband. 
The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen, folks, it's just the clear emphasis. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. There's something uh, glaringly absent in that text. I, I wonder if any of you happen to see what it is. There's something glaringly absent from that text. After the initial obvious uh, commandment to, for you to only have sexual relations with your spouse, after that, you know what's missing? You are. There's nothing else about you in there. There's nothing about what, what you want. There's nothing about what you need. There's nothing about what you feel. There's nothing about what, 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 what you, desires you have. From that point on, it's all about your spouse. The clear emphasis is on your spouse's physical, sexual needs, not yours. And with that, the Apostle Paul establishes a foundation for a healthy, vibrant, physical relationship between a husband and a wife. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up the train, Mr. Conductor. Are you telling me, are you telling me that I should have physical intimacy, sexual relations with my spouse every time they want to? It depends on whether you want to do this thing God's way or not. Now listen, if the text says something else, show me and we'll work off of that. But the clear teaching is that your focus is on your spouse's physical sexual needs and not on yours. And Paul gives a couple of reasons why. Let's get into them real quickly here. First, what I would call a covenant obligation fulfillment. A covenant obligation ful fulfillment. Now, like I said, the New, the New Living Translation, uh, it doesn't sound as sterile. That's why I read it in verse, uh, at the beginning. It doesn't sound as sterile as some of the, perhaps some of the other translations would. But let me also say this. The, the New Living in this particular instance fails to capture the impact of verse 3. Uh, I want to I read it to you uh, from the New American Standard. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Okay? I admit it. Doesn't sound very sexy. Doesn't sound very romantic. Duty is not a word you intend to think of. Come on, baby. Let's fulfill our duty. I, I, I freely admit to you it doesn't sound very romantic, right? Listen. Look, look at it. In, in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, ophilomenon is the word. Literally, being owed. From a root word meaning debt. Now, Paul doesn't say that this is the only reason that, that there should be regular, consistent sexual intimacy with you and your spouse, or, or even that perhaps that it's even the most important reason. But remember the context. Paul is dealing with the ascetics who said that uh, the body is physically bad, so anything that we do that makes the body feel good, we shouldn't do. And Paul says that can't possibly be right. Because there is a covenant obligation in marriage. Because since 
the beginning of time, there has always been an understanding that a husband and a wife would be physically intimate. That's existed since the beginning of time. And, and, if, and if a spouse uh, deprives their, their spouse of that for, because they don't feel like it or they're, they're whatever, you know, they are essentially stealing from their spouse what is owed to them, and that would be unjust. And so there is a covenant obligation, and this is clearly what he says, fulfill this covenant obligation. Essentially, it's what he's saying. What is owed, because there's always been an understanding of that. The second reason that Paul gives is this. Voluntary authority transfer. Voluntary authority transfer. Paul says there, and this, by the way, this would have been a radical concept when Paul writes this. This would have been a radical concept. When he says, for the, the husband's body does not belong to himself, but, but to his, or a wife's body does not belong to herself, but to her husband. A husband's body does not belong to himself, but to his wife. Uh, in that culture, a, a wife's body belongs to her husband. It, is, uh, he has a th- Absolutely, sure. I get that. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says, and a husband gives his authority of his body over to his wife. That would be a radically crazy idea for that concept back then. But do you understand? That's, that's what this is. It's, it's mutual release of the authority of my body over to my spouse and her doing the same for me. It, it, it is voluntary, and that's the key. This is not forced. This is not coerced. It is voluntarily saying, my spouse's needs are more important than mine. Do you catch that? Do you see where we are? We're always coming back to this Christian view that it's not about me, it's about another person. And in this context of sexual intimacy, it's not about me, it's about my spouse. It's about what her physical needs are. And Paul kind of closes that out by giving what clearly is a command and not just a good idea when he says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Apostolete, it is a present continuous verb, an action, a present continuous action, something that should be doing and should be going on, preceded by the participle may or not. Not depriving each other of physical intimacy. Don't do it. That's what he says. The only break, the only break from consistent physical intimacy that the Apostle Paul gives is, is this right here. By mutual consent, in other words, you both say, you know what, there's something, this important decision coming up or something, whatever. Let's both agree that, that we're not, by mutual consent. Second, for spiritual profit, he clearly says for prayer, for connecting uh, with God. And third, a specific limited time. He specifically says for a limited time. I really don't, I really don't think I really even have to, need to elaborate on that, but, but the Apostle Paul is basically saying, listen, if the two of you decide that you want to fast from physical intimacy, I know we tend to think of fasting having to do with food, and clearly, biblically, that, that's the overwhelming majority of times fasting is used, it's referring to food, but you can fast from anything. You can fast from anything. And fasting among other things, is, is a way to say to God, God, we need you, or we need to hear from you, that you're more important 
than, than, than this thing that I'm, that I'm giving up for, for a period of time. It's essentially is, is at least part of the purpose of fasting. To say uh, to God, God, I, 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 I love the relationship with my spouse. I love being physically intimate with my spouse. But God, we, we've both agreed that, that we've got a big decision coming up, a, a job offer or a, a move or a, whatever the case may be. And, and Father God, we, we want to honor you and, and we're, this precious gift you've given us. We're so grateful. We're going to set this gift aside and pray to you and focus on you so that you might speak to our hearts in our lives. That's essentially what he's saying, but he is very specific. Make sure that you only do it for a little, for a short period of time. Talk about that in just a second. Now, let me say a couple of things as we move towards the close that you need to take note of. First, you must be careful, ladies and gentlemen, not to weaponize the Apostle Paul's words. In other words, if you happen to be the spouse in, in the relationship, if you struggle in this area of frequency, consistency, whatever, if you happen to be the spouse that thinks that there ought to be a little more frequency going on, you cannot memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and recite it to your spouse every time he or she is not in the mood. You cannot make 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, your uh, daily couple's Bible reading every single day. Okay? Don't weaponize God's word. That's not why it was given to you. That's not what it's for. And if you do that, by the way, you will be guilty of the very thing that he's trying to keep us from doing, and that is focusing on ourselves. Because you'll be focusing on yourself and your wants and your needs instead of your spouse's, and so therefore you'll be doing exactly the opposite of what he says you ought to be doing, which is focusing on your spouse. Now, Paul only gives one, but I'm going to give you four reasons for consistent physical intimacy in your relationship. Maybe four reasons, okay? Four, do I hear eight, ten? Okay, I don't know. Paul only gives one, maybe because one ought to be enough, but let me give you four. First, uh, procreation. Now, now listen, I understand, uh, because we live under a fallen world, because of the effects of the sin curse on this world, not everyone is able to bear children. And some people are at an age where they're past child-rearing years. I, I understand that. But there's no question that procreation is the means by which God uh, presented a way for life to come into the world. So it is... It is at least a part of that. Beginning right there in the book of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Second, uh, pleasure. Listen to me. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to enjoy a sexual relationship with your husband or with your wife. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It ought to be. It's always been God's intention that this physical intimacy between a husband and a wife would be something that they would enjoy. Can I say this to you? If you do not enjoy it, talk to someone. Talk to a, a, a counselor. Talk to a doctor. Talk to a, a, a trusted friend that you can talk to about this. There are a lot, more than you would think, a number of Christian books that are available that, that can help people understand from a biblical perspective how to, how to in, in, improve, increase uh, your, your sexual pleasure in the relationship with your spouse, pleasure. God, God wants you to enjoy this thing. If you don't, there's, there's things can be done about it. Third, personal touch. That's another reason for regular, consistent, physical intimacy between you and your spouse. Listen, scientists have known this for years. There is power in touch. There is emotional, psychological, and physiological benefits to touch and there is no greater expression of touch 
than when a husband lies with his wife in a physical, intimate way. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this, touch, particularly in this context, physical intimacy, is a bonding agent. It, it really is. It bonds two people together in a way that really, I don't even know that it's possible to even explain it, but I'm telling you, it's real. By the way, that's one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons God uh, prohibits single people from being sexually active. This is one of the reasons, because, because it's a bonding agent, or it should be. If it's not, there's things that can be done, but personal touch is important. It's important. And then one more, and this is the one Paul gives, protection. Protection. To protect you from what else, what else or who else or whatever else might be out there outside of, of God's expectations for your life. When Paul says uh, there at the end of verse 5, when he says uh, that Satan would tempt you because of your lack of self-control, he said, if you come apart, don't do it too long, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's not being insulting. He's simply addressing the reality that the enemy is real, that sexual desire can be powerful and we can be weak. Listen to me. The enemy wants you to fail. The enemy wants you to fall. The enemy wants you uh, to, to, to lose at this thing. He wants to show the world that having a relationship with Jesus Christ makes no difference in your, in your relationships, particularly in your marital relationships. And it should. It should. Our, our marriages should be stronger. Our marriages should be healthier. Our marriages should be more vibrant. Our, our physical intimacy should, should be more uh, consistent and personal and all those kind of things because we follow Jesus Christ. So let me just say this to you. A couple of questions I want to give you real quickly. First one is this. Have you talked to your spouse about their physical needs? Yeah, but what about... Uh, uh, uh? Have you talked to your spouse about their physical needs? Now, they may, they may say, I don't want to talk about this. This is too weird. I don't want to talk about this. Okay, but you try it. Because oftentimes you don't, you don't know if you're not talking. You don't know that, that maybe, you, you've, maybe you've gone a month without being physically intimate with your, your spouse. Huh. Maybe you've gone a month without being physically intimate with your spouse. And, 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 and maybe, maybe you're fine. Maybe you're like, okay, that's okay. That, that hasn't bothered me. Because I understand that it... it Sexual desire may vary in people, but maybe you've gone that long and it doesn't bother you. But do you know the same thing for sure about your spouse? H have you asked them? And then here's another one. Um, uh, do you think that you are meeting your spouse's physical needs? I, I, I know that's hard, but I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. If I want to honor God with my life, every component of my life, and, and I, I, I think we all would say I want to do that, then, then to ask ourselves am i meeting my spouse's physical needs now now okay okay pastor i get it the bible says the focus is supposed to be on my spouse i get it but i have needs what about my needs what about my needs listen i, I understand I, I really do and that's a legitimate question you may not like my answer but i'll give you two of them first choose faith over feelings. In the area of physical intimacy, that, which is clear the context here, choose faith over feelings. Choose to believe that God says that, that, I, that I need to and should have this healthy physical relationship with my spouse. Whether I feel like it or, 
or, or think this or, or not, but to choose by faith to do this. You know, sometimes you've heard people say uh, love is a, is a verb. Well, the truth is faith is a verb. Faith is an action. And if I am going to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, then I'm going to have to choose by faith to, to be physically intimate with my spouse whether I am feeling it or not. All right, I'll say something else about that, but just a second. And, and, then, and then second, let, let me say this to you. Communicate your needs to your spouse. I didn't say your needs didn't matter or were unimportant. In fact, your needs should be critically important to your spouse. Because if your spouse is a follower of Jesus Christ, and if, if they're not, I, I understand this can, be, this can be difficult, but if your spouse is a follower of Jesus Christ, then they should be trying to follow this exact same pattern, and they should be focused on your needs and not their own needs. And so they should be asking themselves that question. They, they should be asking you, uh, am I meeting your physical needs? What are your physical needs? How am I not doing it? You understand Talk to your spouse about it. Tell them, hey, this is, this is I'm just telling, be honest with you, this is how I feel about this, this is how this is, this is whatever. I, and let me just say this, particularly if you're a woman, say this to your husband, communicate this to your husband, because husbands are dumb. We're dumb. We, we don't get it a lot. So communicate your needs to your spouse. Now, what you see in this, and I, I, I know I've got to close here, I'm, I'm going to close with the verse in a second, but what you see here, when, when both husband and wife are saying, you know what, that's what God's word says, and listen, I, God thinks this is important enough to put it very bluntly in his word, right? I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you could say, you know, oh, God kind of skated around that one. No, God said, be sexually intimate with your spouse. Don't not do that. It's probably not good grammar, but probably not how God said it, but don't not do that. So God thought it important enough to put in his word. But what you find is, and this is a goal, and we're always striving this, and we will not get it right all the time, and we will fail. I fail at this miserably lots of times. But if, if, we, if we're striving for this, if both the husband and wife are striving for this, you'll be amazed at how this will all work out. Because you may be thinking, oh my goodness, if, if I follow this, my spouse is going to want to be physically intimate seven nights a week and a couple afternoon delights thrown in for fun. And I just don't have that kind of energy. Right? It is amazing how this will balance out when both the husband and wife saying, you know what, we haven't done this right or I haven't done this right. Would you forgive me? Let's work on this. Let me try and help meet your needs or what your needs. And can I say this to you? Sometime your spouse's needs may just to, just to be held. What? You mean without sex? I, I, I know, I... I know, but I'm just telling you. Sometimes your spouse just needs. Sometimes your spouse's need may be a great night's sleep. Now, listen. I, I know that this is talking about physical intimacy, but it, but can you see how this all works together? All of this works together when the focus is not on me, but it's on my spouse. And when it is, this beautiful thing can occur, and it can get better, and it can get all the. Can I say this? I know. I know. I got there's lots of stuff I can say. Can I say this? Sometimes there can be physical issues, physical problems. Sometimes uh, as we get older, some, some of the things may change. It may not be 4th of July fireworks every time, but this is something that God gave to us and he wants us to enjoy it between a husband and a wife. Here's the key. And with this I'll close, but here's the key. And in a sense, it has nothing to do with sex. But in another sense, it has everything to do with it. 
here's the key to successful physical intimacy with my spouse and everything else for that matter. It is to have the mind of Christ. That's it. That's it. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts it to the church in Philippi when he says to them, in your relationships with one another. Okay, so in this context, in the physical relationship between myself and my spouse, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what was his mindset? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That is the calling of the follower of Jesus Christ. It's the theme verse of this church, uh, of this church not the Philippians church uh, verse, but Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The mind of Christ to think that this person matters more than me, this person's needs are more important than mine. And if, and if a husband and wife understand that, if they're willing to work on that, the, the shortfallings, the misgivings, if they're willing to do that, and if they're willing to make allowances for the fact that your spouse is not going to get it right a lot of the times, and you're not going to get it right a lot of times, but commit it to this thing and to say, for the glory of God, let, let's, let's make this thing what it should be. When you do that, something beautiful emerges. Talking about sexual intimacy is something the church often shies away from. But as we've seen today, the Apostle Paul wasn't shy about speaking truth in regards to the importance of a healthy sexual relationship in a marriage. It's natural for us to focus on our needs, but as Pastor Clay explained today, God is calling us to focus on our spouse's needs, including their sexual needs. Sexual temptation is a real threat to the stability of marriage. We can defeat that threat by making sure that physical intimacy has a place of priority in our marriage. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.